Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Do Scientists Do? Today, I'm joined by our very special guest. Could you give us your name and your pronouns, please? Uh, my name is Margaret, and uh, my pronouns are she and her. So, Margaret, what kind of scientist are you? I am a vertebrate paleontologist. So, what's that? What do you study? Uh, vertebrate paleontology is the study of mostly dinosaurs. But um, we also study other prehistoric creatures that have a backbone, so things that have hard parts on the inside. Cool. So, yeah, we were talking to Austin in another episode who talked all about things that don't have backbones and studying the fossils of those. So you actually deal with things that do have backbones. What are some examples of creatures that you might deal with? Um, so some examples of creatures I might see in my day-to-day -day life is uh, things like dinosaurs, like um, Parasaurolophus, if, you know, uh, you're <laughs> dinosaurs, um, or things like uh, T-Rex, which I personally haven't ever uh, come across, but that's a pretty famous one. Uh, there's also different mammals, like mammoths and uh, prehistoric camels. Uh, things like early amphibians, like little salamanders and different fish. Uh, so pretty much every kind of animal uh, that we have nowadays in different forms, but also some ones that we don't have, um, like dinosaurs, uh, unless you include birds. Cool. So I didn't know that prehistoric camels existed. So now <laughs> I'm just wondering about that. What's up with prehistoric camels? Um, well, fun fact, uh, camels are actually indigenous to North America, so they came from uh, places like Canada and the States. And then um, a long time ago, there was a large uh, land bridge, like a big kind of bridge made out of land <laughs> that went between uh, Asia and North America and all the camels kind of you know, walked across, and then they went extinct here in North America, and so now we only have camels uh, on the other side of the world. I did not know that. That's a wild fact for me. Um, so besides knowing fun facts about camels, what else do you do in, like, your daily life and work? Um, well, mostly uh, I'm more of a technical researcher rather than a like actual researcher. I do do some research, but most of my time is spent in the fossil preparation lab uh, where we clean and uh, make fossils pretty for research and for display. That's super cool. So you clean and tie up the fossils so that they can be displayed in like a museum. Sometimes. Sometimes they end up sitting on a shelf for a very, very long time before anybody looks at them, but um, it always is good to uh, get them out of that rock and so that you can look at them to see if they're going to be significant for some kind of research or if they're just going to be um, a beautiful specimen for display so that people can learn about them. That's super cool. So what do you need to do in order to prepare a fossil? So after a fossil is collected in the field, uh, it's put into a protective plaster jacket. So it's kind of like if you break your arm or another bone, you get a cast uh, that, that helps you heal. So we use similar 
kind of techniques to protect the bone from breaking because they've been in the ground for millions of years and bringing them out of the ground can sometimes cause them to fall apart. And so we uh, sometimes you use sticks and stuff to brace the bone as well, depending on how big it is. But usually it's just a nice plaster cast that once we get that back to the lab, you cut it open um, and then you usually work from the bottom down. So the, the side of the fossil that you start at is the opposite side to what they would have seen in the field, which is actually really, really neat because uh, once you get down to that, that bone, you're actually the very first person to ever see that particular fossil because it's been encased in rock before people even existed. <laughs> And then, so you clear away the matrix, which just means all of the sediment and rock and sand or any other kind of dirt <laughs> uh, that covers the bone. And sometimes there's even plant roots and other fossils that are in the jacket as well. It's a bit of a surprise bag of science. <laughs> and so once you get down to the bone, you have to be a lot more careful and make sure that you're following edges and making sure that you're not accidentally scraping the bone. Accidents do happen, but we try to be as careful as possible. And once you get that bone out of all of that dirt and uh, rock, um, then you have to be very careful and make sure you're using as much glue as possible and just, you know, basically coat that thing in glue to make sure it does not fall apart. And it can be cleaned up later, but we really are as careful as possible about gluing things back together. How long does all of that take? Uh, it depends on how big it is and how tough the, the matrix or the surrounding rock is. A lot of things from Dinosaur Provincial Park here in um, Alberta are in ironstone, which is a very, very tough, tough matrix to work with. Uh, and sometimes you have to use things like air scribes, which are these little pin-like tools that shoot air out and they uh, hit points of weakness in the rock so that they flake off chunks. And they're very, very useful, but they can easily damage softer specimens uh, if you're not too careful. So usually only advanced preparators get to use those. But normally I just use uh, dental picks, um, which are just these sharp little things that the dentist uses to clean your teeth. And we steal them for <laughs> our fossil preparation. Uh, toothbrushes, water, we sometimes use uh, chemicals to dissolve the stone and to dissolve glue if we put a little bit too much on there. And yeah, so it's mostly a lot of household tools that you can use for fossil preparation. Yeah, so the people buying dentist tools from wherever you buy them from are dentists and fossil preparation experts, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really funny to think about. Um, do you have a favorite fossil that you've ever gotten to prepare? My favorite fossil that I've gotten to prepare is probably uh, a couple different ones, actually, all from the same dinosaur, but it's a set of limb bones. So like uh, the hands, the 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 forearms, the the humerus, which is your upper arm bone, and then the the sternum as well. So the whole kind of arm setup there. 
which is pretty neat because it usually comes in different uh, pieces. And so it's kind of like fitting together a big puzzle once you're you're finished with it. And so this particular, my favorite that I've gotten to prepare is actually a research specimen for one of my friends who is doing her thesis, so her final project on this one specific dinosaur. The my favorite part of the skeleton to prepare was the sternum, which is just like the breastbone of the hadrosaur, which is also known as duck-billed dinosaurs. So what made working on the sternum and that upper body part so cool? So it was very cool to work on that part of the dinosaur because that specific part of duck-billed dinosaurs is not found very often. There's only a few complete sets of uh, breastbones that have been found in Canada um, that have been found together. Uh, and it's very it's a very important part of the skeleton for um, figuring out how these animals lived and moved. So in movies like Jurassic Park and games and everything, so like you see duck-billed dinosaurs running around on two legs. But the evidence from studying their fossils actually suggests that these animals would probably have run around on four legs, like cows or horses or something like that. There's a possibility that they were able to kind of rear up on their hind legs for certain activities like gathering food or, you know, looking around or even possibly um, short bursts of two-legged locomotion. Like there's some lizards who normally walk around on two legs, but sometimes they'll kind of rear up on their hind legs to run really, really fast. Um, so there's a possibility that that happened. But through studying the sternum and the limbs, uh, we can kind of see that these animals would probably be walking around on their forelimbs, not with them raised up. They also had little hoof-like hands, which kind of tells us already that they were probably not using their hands for grabbing or fighting. They were most likely employed, much like a horse hoof, as a support system for the animal. That's wild. So did we know that when we made movies like Jurassic Park, or is this like newer information? It's It's been around longer than you'd think, like the knowledge that dinosaurs, most uh, dinosaurs that are related to birds. So there's the two different um, groups of dinosaurs, ones that uh, led to birds. So like they're called theropods, which are like T-Rex and Velociraptor and more charismatic species like that. They almost most certainly had feathers and that knowledge has been around for quite a while longer than you'd think um but it's kind of the same with duck-billed dinosaurs and their posture so it's been kind of a wishy-washy back and forth did they didn't they and it's kind of like that with a lot of uh paleontology um but the inkling that they have been uh, running around on four legs has been around for a while. Okay, so we just thought it looked cooler, and that's why we put more of that in, like, movies and video games and stuff, pretty much. Um, um, yeah, yeah, and, like, probably. That, who knows, and, like, do they always consult scientists? It's hard to know for something like that. Not always, dinosaurs. but it is it, it it was a popular theory for a long time that they were on two legs and it is only recently that that uh four-legged theory has become a lot more obvious so they were running around on four legs with a duck bill so like a reptile platypus 
almost. Kind of, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's a really funny idea to picture. So you're saying that T-Rex probably had feathers? Um, it's quite likely that they had something like feathers. It probably would have looked a little bit more like hair since feathers were just evolving. Early on in the evolution of feathers, they were not exactly like how we know them in birds. They weren't quite as pretty and uh, full. They were probably more hair-like to begin with. So, like, a terrifying T-Rex, but with, like, baby hair. Yeah, like, like peach fuzz. It would have been a little fuzz, a little fuzz ball. <laughs> but just soft. Like, if you pet them, maybe it'd be kind of nice, you know? If you go up, you pet the T-Rex. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to pet a T-Rex, but, you know. Yeah. Maybe a sleeping T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard it here, folks. You should pet a sleeping T-Rex. <laughs> That's the official consensus. Well, that's super cool. Do you have something that you think everyone should know about dinosaurs or vertebrate paleontology in general? Um, it's super cool and everyone should do it. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> you know, I when I graduated from high school, uh, I was told by one of my advisors that paleontology wasn't a real job and that I would never find any work and that it was basically just just fun and games and it wasn't real, uh, which is totally not true. And paleontology is a real job. So if you're a dinosaur kid and you love dinosaurs, never stop loving dinosaurs and just, you know, keep going because all paleontologists are just dinosaur kids who love dinosaurs. And that's all you need to be a paleontologist, basically. I love that. Well, I think that's everything I have to ask. Do you have anything that you would like to plug, by the way? I don't think so. Other than uh, when you start getting involved in paleontology, definitely get involved in fossil preparation. <laughs> uh, not to be biased, but it is a hands-on way to keep your foot in the door, even if um, even if you're not thinking about doing research. Uh, it's a great way to just have a lot of fun and really get to know uh, fossils, get to know um, the field. It's any any opportunity to get involved. I would I would say go for it. That's so cool. So, can you get involved in fossil preparation if you're not like doing a paleontology degree? Is it a thing that volunteers can do, or is it more of a thing that you do through school? Um, I definitely did it through school. Uh, However, it doesn't matter if you have a paleontology degree or if you have a degree at all. Um, fossil prep, if you have a place that's near you that you can go and volunteer, usually they'll accept anybody willing to pick up a dental pick and pick at some sand for a bit. Uh, it's a great way to get involved with the community and to just do some fun science without any commitment, really. Yeah, so sorry, it broke up a tiny bit there, but I think what you were saying is that University of Alberta has the Dino Lab where you can yeah. go and volunteer to prepare fossils. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Margaret. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. <laughs> and as always, a big, big thank you to everybody listening. For more science fun, you can check out our past episodes at bit.ly forward slash what do scientists do or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at ScientistsDoPod. 
That's also where we'll be posting a cool video of Margaret preparing some fossils, if you'd like to check that out. Do you have a question that you'd like answered by one of our experts? Send us an email or a voice recording at whatdoscientistsdo@superstaff.ca, and your question might be featured on the show. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Bye for now! This show was made by Supernova at Dalhousie University, a network member of Actua. For more information on our summer camps, workshops, and more, visit supernova.dal.ca. Thank <music> you.